to anyone who has spent even a little time in the housing industry, my first guest of the 2023 Arch Mortgage Insurance Policy Cast season probably needs no introduction. Over the course of his career, David Stevens originated home loans and headed sales divisions for primary and secondary housing giants Wells Fargo and Freddie Mac. He served as president of one of the nation's largest real estate companies and chief executive of the Mortgage Bankers Association. Now CEO of his own consulting firm, Mountain Lake Consulting, Stevens' experience puts him in rare company as a policy advisor to presidents of housing finance companies and the President of the United States in his former role as Assistant Secretary for Housing and Federal Housing Commissioner. If you want the big picture for housing policy and trends in 2023, who better to ask than Dave Stevens? Well, Dave Stevens, thank you very much for being here for the first episode of the Arch Mortgage Insurance Policy Cast for 2023. We're, we're calling this first episode the big picture and think that you're the perfect uh, candidate to come and, and, and chat with us about that. We're really looking forward to your perspectives. So, Well, good to be with you, Kirk, as always. Uh, Dave, we've seen really tremendous peaks and valleys for the mortgage industry for the past 12 months or so, and you've done a lot of writing on that topic on a number of different forums. What do you think we ought to expect in 2023? Well, you know, I think we're on the precipice of seeing the end of the worst of the housing market in terms of what we've just been through starting late last year and Definitely this quarter isn't a lot better, but it is certainly better as, you know, we all saw loan application activity jumped uh, over 20% um, last week. And, you know, clearly interest rates have started to come down. We're entering, uh, we'll, we will be entering the early phase of the spring market. Um, we still have an extraordinary shortage of inventory and the nation is facing the biggest wave of demographic demand uh, that we've seen generationally since the baby boomers started buying homes in their early years in the 1980s. So um, what's causing all of us pain and has caused us pain the last several months is that, you know, two and a half percent no longer is here. So refinances went away. That caused an extraordinary contraction in the marketplace. But I think in general terms, the market's right-sizing. Um, we've had some mergers, some companies have shut their doors, other companies have shed excess uh, labor. Uh, I think margins are coming back in the, into the business. Interest rates are coming down off of their peak of 7%, uh, clearly around six today and probably heading into the fives here shortly. Um, and so once Powell is done, which most expect due to inflation data that they're seeing right now that he is almost done, then we're going to be, uh, once that is signaled that the, the, the rise of the Fed funds rate has come to an end, uh, just watch. I, I just say, hold on. The stock market will have a surge. Um, interest rates will continue to rally, uh, not to where they were before, but clearly you know, mid to low fives is absolutely within range. Um, and then the demographics of demand are going to take over. And I think by the end of the year, we'll be back into the same problems in the purchase market that we felt uh, a year ago, which is supply shortages, um, 
full price offers and more of a seller's market. You, you recently tried to calm the waters in, a, in an article when you talked about uh, home prices always going up. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, if you follow me on LinkedIn, I've been doing a series of uh, articles um, that I publish uh, in a newsletter for LinkedIn talking about um, perspective. And one perspective is is a good one. You can pull it off of the Federal Reserve site, Fred, the Federal Reserve of St. Louis. Hopefully, all everybody's watching this has been there before, but it's a great resource for data. Um, and if you go to Fred and you just look at the median home prices, median price of homes sold in the United States, they have a chart that'll take you back to 1955, which is you know, uh, I, I wasn't even born then. Right. Um, and I was born in 57. So, and I'm an old timer in this business. Uh, so it takes you back to 1955 and it tracks home prices from 55 to the most recent data point, uh, which is just uh, three months ago. So the, the point being through 10 recessions since 1955, 10 of them, some bigger, some less big, uh, but including the great recession of 08, while home prices may dip for a moment, home prices have always gone up. Uh, and um, you know the median value of homes in America has always risen. And I, I use that to make an argument that personally, I think if you're sitting on the sidelines waiting for something to happen, I hear people say, I'm gonna wait for homes to right size or home values to right size. I mean, I really think that personally is a mistake. I encourage my kids to buy homes. Uh, my best friends to buy homes. I think that window of opportunity is now uh, because once Powell signals that we're done with quantitative tightening um, and the market begins to regain its uh, enthusiasm, which will be the second half of this year um, and in the next couple of years, which will be pretty strong, I think it all switches back and reverts back to that. So, I mean, I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised. You're a long-term optimist for, for the industry. But in the immediate term, uh, the, the industry does have some real challenges. You just mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago, there's been a lot of layoffs. Uh, lenders have either shut down operations or exited certain lines of businesses. What advice would you give mortgage lending executives as they grapple with a, a smaller market in the, the near term, but prepare for the future as well? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, actually, you know, a lot of, I have several clients who are, uh, sizable non-bank lenders. And I've watched them, what they did over the fall and pre-holiday. I, I think most of us in the business know that there was a lot of layoff that occurred across the industry uh, pre-holiday. I think even the best independent mortgage banker executives have to realize and look back at their last decade and a half and look how big and big, big they became, how, how large and fast those companies grew, and just realize that that's not sustainable. This is a zero-sum game, um, and you know certainly you can try to buy market share, but in my view, you only rent it. You never actually own it uh, because you can't subsidize pricing uh, forever. And so in the end of the day, I think it's, it comes down to a couple of things. One is uh, extraordinary discipline on operational support for the uh, for the sales force. Um, you know, we created a lot of excess headcount to support these branches and teams that we acquired uh, in the past several years and let them bring their entire teams in. That just can't be supported in the contracting market. So that I think there has to be 
continued discipline on making cuts or consolidating support teams to cover broader geographic areas than they currently do. Um, and that'll improve uh, effectiveness and efficiencies. And then on the sales side, the one thing I've argued for years, and I continue, I argue more so now with my client, is not everybody's built for a purchase market. I mean, a, a refinance market is business is, is business to consumer. You're selling direct to a home buyer, I mean, a homeowner, excuse me. Uh, and in, in most cases, you're saying, Hey, I can take your four and turn it into a three. You know, it's a it's a it's a very easy shooting ducks in a barrel kind of sales environment when you're in a refi boom like we were in 2020 and 21. And it makes people feel like they're better than they are. Uh, and it makes companies look better than they would normally be. Um, and across the board, converting to a purchase market is a very proactive selling skill. You have to be able to actually go out, build relationships, get rejected. The sales cycles longer because that realtor or home builder you're making a relationship with today, they may not even have a transaction this week, this month. Um, it may be a while before you can actually get a referral from them. Uh, you have to you have to be much more disciplined in your sales style, your sales approach, your techniques um, and capabilities. Let's talk a little bit about market segmentation. Uh, this past October, the, the Federal Housing Finance Agency ordered the, the GSEs, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, to eliminate their loan level price adjustments on most of the affordable uh, rich loans that, that they purchased. And then in January, the agency refined their pricing a little bit more to reduce prices for loans with lower FICOs and higher LTVs. Do you think that was the right move and, and what exactly is FHFA trying to do? Yeah, I mean, Kirk, you and I both know all too well because we work together at Freddie Mac. <laughs> so we we lived this life uh, and the challenge of doing affordable lending out of a risk-based uh, pricing structure that the GSE has offered. I mean, the, the advantage FHFA, excuse me, FHA has always had in the affordable lending space is it's a cross-subsidy program. In other words, the better credits subsidize, the worse credits, everybody gets the same price. Typically, Anything below 720 FICO at uh, 95 LTV or above has been better execution by FHA for a home buyer. And it's it's frustrated the regulators, it's frustrated consumer advocates who don't want FHA to be the sole provider of affordable lending programs. But nevertheless, two thirds of all African-Americans have gotten their mortgage to the FHA pretty consistently for the past several years. So Sandra has, um, I think probably forced the GSEs I'm guessing it was more of a kicking and screaming kind of effort. We never saw the blood on the floor, but having been there, Kirk, and you know what it's like to argue with some of the capital markets and credit guys to uh, subsidize what are likely going to be higher incidents of default mortgages, meaning those high LTV, lower FICO buckets. And there were pretty significant changes. If you look at the new LLPA grid, um, that's a painful thing for a culture like Fannie and Freddie uh, how they've operated over the last de many decades. Um, is it the right thing to do? I think Fannie and Freddie have been horrendous at providing true affordable lending. And we we did a lot of jockeying back over the years to try to get more affordable lending. But you know how we did that. We would buy already wrapped loans and we just rewrap them. We'd buy, we were at Freddie, we'd buy Fannie's and wrap them in a Freddie. Uh, and we'd, we'd, we'd pay up for particular census tracts 
uh, lower loan balance, uh, certain other and, and other attributes that would help us hit our affordable housing goals. But it was really very much a shell game. And so I think what Sandra's doing is saying that's no longer going to work. You are essentially arms of the federal government. People could argue that, but that's essentially the case in conservatorship. And we have, uh, you now have a pure, a, a, an explicit mission obligation. And the only way, one of the big hurdles here is certainly price. And if you can't be competitive with FHA in those high LTV, lower FICO buckets, you're just never going to solve that paradox. Um, and so, you know, I think, I think it's, there's no question she plans on doing it. It's no question she plans on cross subsidizing that with, uh, increased fees on things like second homes and two to fours. I'm going to give you my answer is I applaud the move. Um, I think it's needed long overdue. So, uh, you know, kind of part and parcel of this, uh, FHFA has required Fannie and Freddie to uh, create equitable housing finance plans. Uh, and I guess this will be part of it. So a combination of a question here, what do you think the role of the GSEs are to um, expand affordable home ownership? And, and secondly, how can mortgage lenders themselves do a better job of connecting to underserved markets to, to really make home ownership uh, more equitable across the board? In terms of the affordable lending space, I think Fannie and Freddie have not had uh, the obligations thrust upon them that they otherwise should have had over the years to come. And, you know, I hearken back to the days of Craig Nickerson when he uh, was the, the spirit behind affordable lending at Freddie Mac, always trying to fight the uphill battle to get the company more engaged in that area. And I thought my own view is the GSEs did just enough to check the box to meet whatever that affordable housing goal is in the past. So um, I think that's just... Um, it should be an obligation by Freddie on Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae, and much more explicit without any wiggle room to kind of uh, fudge the numbers by doing fancy fat, uh, secondary market executions that don't really expand the box. As it comes to lenders, there's there's two approaches here, right? You have if banks like Bank of America and Wells Fargo, which are now creating specific programs that I they're subsidizing clearly that likely will be held on portfolio. Maybe they can sell, be sold into uh, agency pools or other sort of specified pools as private label securities. But nevertheless, th their bank portfolios are subsidizing the product. And I think they, they, they have greater incentive to because they're bigger, they're uh, banks, they have CRA obligations, and they have more of a target on their back from a policymaking standpoint uh, on Capitol Hill. But other non-banks can also play a role here. I do believe that there's a mission that all lenders should have, particularly the larger independent mortgage bankers, some of whom have gone public. Um, and I think you know the way you do that is you begin to create and recruit uh, and market uh, to underserved communities. And to do that, you need to be hiring people uh, who can work and operate in those markets. And my sense is, as you well know, Kirk, we have a lot of states and federal agencies looking at alternatives that are CRA-like that would actually force the IMBs to do more in this space. And my own sense of this is that's probably going to happen at some point. Um, and 
you know, it's a great opportunity to get ahead of the game here and, and start doing some investing in the markets that you serve. You know, you know one of the areas that uh, FHFA and, and certainly a lot of consumer advocates have been talking about are, are credit scores. And, and we've seen a, a recent change requiring uh, lenders sometime in the future to uh, report credit scores from both FICO and Vantage score. And I was wondering, you know, from your perspective, what's the likely impact that this change will have on not only, you know, borrowers, but lenders, servicers, investors, mortgage insurers? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a highly debated policy. Um, I was one who advocated for years to bring Vantage score into the GSEs. And I met with DeMarco and I met with Mel Watt and, um, and many of us did. A lot of other financial institutions didn't want multiple FICOs. They were worried about score shopping and adverse selection and how would you do it? You know, we, we talked about you'd have to pick one score and that's the only score you could use for 90 days or six months or a year, whatever that period of time is. So you couldn't adversely select the GSEs because the last thing you want is a bunch of lenders going out there picking the score that gives them their yes answer. Right. There's been a lot of natural resistance, whether it's adverse selection or operational costs versus the lift. But there is no question in my mind that, is that we looked at models and looked at Vantage score that they could score, you know, tens of thousands more Americans uh, with a credit score that today would not get that score through um, the current offerings in the credit system. And uh, we would have these arguments with the regulators back in the day when I was still at the MBA and before. And they would say, yeah, I know it's 10,000 or 20,000 more Americans, uh, but of that, that percentage, how many are actually going to be able to buy a home and blah, blah, blah. They'd narrow it down to the point where they'd say it's just not worth the effort. And again, that's just another failure, I think, of the system of Fannie and Freddie and a lack of, um, uh, of push by previous regulators. Again, this is another move by Sandra Thompson. Um, I think it's been... You know, I think she's proven herself to be very effective as the director of, of FHFA. If you, if you view their various moves they've done to try to expand access uh, to, to mortgage products offered by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac through the LLPA adjustments or other scoring, uh, using other scores as positive for bringing more home buyers. And keep in mind, Kirk, as you all know, they have yet to really show us exactly how they're going to do it. And we're waiting to see what the implementation of that will look like. But um, my sense is what they'll probably do at minimum is start collecting Vantage score, which is what I've always advocated for and be able to uh, evaluate credit performance uh, with, with, you know, alone with both a FICO and a Vantage score on the file, but we'll see how they ultimately implement this. Let's take a, a look at another issue that you're certainly very familiar with from your history. FHA's capital levels that now exceed 11%, far above the 2% the statutory rate. If you were sitting in the FHFA's commissioner's office today, would you be pushing for a premium cut? Yes, no question. Um, and I know this isn't thrilling to mortgage insurance companies, but <laughs> I, yeah. I, I uh, in the end of the day, um, the amount of capital that FHA has and the pricing level that they're at is completely unwarranted. FHA is not meant to be a profit center for other federal programs. Here's my bet, guys. I would not be blaming Julia Gordon, per se, on this one. My sense is um, that there's a battle going on between Julia and OMB. Um, and OMB and putting together a budget 
uh, particularly one where there's such focus on spending. Uh, they need every penny they can get. I, I used to have to fight these battles back when I uh, was running FHA on the premium. But the good news on my side is I was basically raising premiums back then because they were much lower. And we, as you know, the um, MMI fund uh, was a, in a terrible situation. So I actually got legislation passed to help to change the premium structure. I put in that life of loan premium. Sorry, guys. But in the end, in, in the end of the day, we're at a point right now where the premiums do not reflect the credit quality uh, of the portfolio. Um, they've fixed a lot of the heck of problems. They no longer have seller-funded down payment assistance loans to worry about. And the credit quality in the rest of the portfolio, particularly with home equity that's grown so dramatically in this country, makes that portfolio extraordinarily strong. Um, I think it's almost criminal if you think about housing policy that they haven't lowered premiums because 80% of Purchase transactions at FHA are the first-time homebuyers. Uh, two-thirds, as I told you earlier, about two-thirds of African-Americans and roughly the same for Latinos get their purchase transactions through an FHA program uh, and uh, or VA or USDA, but it's significant. And, uh, and that premium means, you know, every day they don't lower it, um, they're overcharging the consumer. Dave, you've been a great guest. Thanks very much for helping us kick off the uh, policy cast for 2023. Thanks, Kurt. Good to be with you again.